0: Um, and the problem of evil. Um, And Augustine, we're talking about 400 years after Christ. And the way that I'm teaching this course is kind of a chronological view through philosophy or through the history of philosophy. We uh, started off with Plato and Aristotle in the golden age of philosophy, 300, 400 years before Christ. Um, Moved to Augustine and the problem of evil 400 years after Christ. And we've kind of touched on already uh, St. Anselm and St. Thomas Aquinas, when we talked about the arguments for the existence of God. Um, And that's their, at least in the strict sense, their primary contribution to the philosophic history. Um, So we're going to make a monumental jump forward today as far as time, and we're going to talk about Rene Descartes. Uh, Descartes was born in 1596 um, AD, so we're talking about 11, 1200 years after Augustine. And when Descartes hits the scene, he's kind of going to be the catalyst for this new movement in philosophy, or this modern period, which centers around the debate debate between rationalism and empiricism. Um, And Descartes is known as the father of modernism, um, the father father of modern thought, Um, and we talked about that briefly in the very, very first lecture, how he introduced new ideas and tried to push the idea of certainty forward. Um, the central debate between rationalism and empiricism um, hangs on these major figures. Descartes, Leibniz, and Spinoza have been come to known as the Continental rationalists, and we call them the Continental rationalists because they all worked, lived, and wrote on the continent of Europe, as opposed to the empiricists, which are called the British empiricists: Locke, Berkeley, and Hume who were on the British Isles. So these guys are all writing at the same time, both proposing two different epistemologies. And once again, epistemology is the study of what we know, what we have the capability of knowing. The rationalists, Descartes, Leibniz, and Spinoza, are going to claim that we have innate ideas, that we are born with certain principles that we don't have to learn through experience. They're just given to us. Um, They also believe that there's certain knowledge that is a priori, which is basically to repeat the fact that we have innate ideas. And we can get to these innate ideas through reason and contemplation alone, through just sitting and contemplating. We can reason about the world and know certain principles. The British empiricists are disinclined to believe this, Um, so Locke, Barclay, and Hume are known as the empiricists who believe that all knowledge comes via the senses. Everyone's familiar with Locke's famous phrase that we are born tabula rasa, right? which means blank slate. Your mind is a blank slate, and you know absolutely nothing until your sense organs take in sense experience or take in data. And from there, you build a body of knowledge. Right? Locke gives the thought experiment. He says, close your eyes. And he says, think of a color you've never thought of before. And no one can do it, correct? No one can do that. Why? Locke says, because you can only think about things that you've already experienced. That's one of his great proofs for empiricism, that we can't possibly know anything that we haven't seen before. He further says, close your eyes and try to think of a shape that you've never seen before. Or for that matter, think of anything you've never seen before. And it's very, very difficult to do that, right? We can think of weird alien creatures and things we've never seen before, but what do those alien creatures look like? a bunch of things we've seen before, right? They might have the tail of a lizard and the face of a man and the body of this animal. Um, But what it is is just a conglomeration of things that we've already seen before. So Locke wants to posit um, that nothing we can know, we don't know anything at all, without first experience that thing. Now Descartes, one of his great proofs for rationalism um, would be his candle analogy. And the candle analogy, he says, imagine I'm holding a large wax candle. And you look at this candle, and at the back of the room over here, there's a giant fire burning. And he says, and I walk towards the fire with this candle. And I keep walking towards it, walking towards it, walking towards it. When I get really close to the fire, what happens to the candle? It It melts. So I sit there by the fire for a while, right? And I have this big puddle of junk in my hand. And Descartes asks the question, he goes, what is this I'm holding in my hand? And all of you would say, well, it's still wax, right? It was wax over here when it was in the form of a candle, and it's wax over there when it's completely different looking. But Descartes asked the question, what enables us to know that this thing is wax in both states? Is it our experience of that? Is it our senses that tell us that? No, our senses tell us what? It's one thing over here, and over there it's something completely different. That's what your eyes are telling you, right? But none of you think that. Why? You reason that no, 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 something does just not magically change to something completely different. You reason that that thing is something different. So, this is one of his great proofs for rationalism that we can know things apart from the senses. Um, we're gonna talk about Descartes a little bit today. Um, and what I've found in studying Descartes is he's gonna be one of the great figures that shows us the absolute limit of philosophy when it is not illuminated. Uh, by the revelation of Christ. You're going to see this huge project that Descartes undergoes, and then you see how stuck he gets unless he assumes the truth of Christianity. Um, And I think it's a wonderful proof. So I'll give you a quote to start off with. Uh, Hegel says, here we finally reach home like a mariner after a long voyage on a tempestuous sea. We can shout land ho for with Descartes, The culture and thought of modern time truly begins. Now, what Hegel was saying is philosophy was dead until Descartes started it back up again. Um, It was stuck, as one philosopher claims, in the bog of scholasticism. Um, Plato and Aristotle die, like we said, 400 years before Christ. And then all of the philosophy that's done is done within the churches. And it's scholastic work, it's scholarly work, it's discourses on metaphysics, um, and it's kind of repetitious in the sense that we're using Plato's ideas in Augustine, we're using Aristotle's ideas in Aquinas, and we keep rehashing the same things over and over and over again. So by time Descartes comes on the scene, 1596, um, he was born in a small town in France near Tours. Um, does anyone know what the town is now called? It's now called Descartes, um, after Descartes, so he was actually born in Descartes. It wasn't Descartes at the time, but it is now Descartes. France. Um, And by the time Descartes comes along and he's studying this philosophy, he's somewhat upset or bored with the philosophy. He was still studying Plato, still studying Aristotle, 2,000 years after their death. And he didn't like the fact that in studying Plato and Aristotle, he found no certainty. Most of the dialogue, if you remember back to how we studied Plato, the Euthyphro, and the Apology, and the Republic... There's never a definitive answer given at the end of the dialogues of Plato. It's always, well, what do you think? Or this is what I believe. But there's not that certainty, and Descartes craved that. Um, And the only place that he found the certainty he desired was in the rising field of math and science. He loved math and science. Um, He was enchanted with the absolute certainty of it, that two plus two equals four, and it always equals four, it always will equal four, it always has equaled four, Um, and he wanted in some way to study things that were that certain, but he thought, alas, that he would never get that in the field of philosophy. Um, A little bit about Descartes' personal life. We see him growing up as a man of uh, many, many dichotomies. He has these strange I don't want to say split personality, but polar opposite attributes to him. Um, He grew up in a solitary environment, and he did not want to be around other people, and he loved being at home, but yet he often at other times wrote about how he craved to be around other people and travel. Um, Very, very strange. We see him, another dichotomy in Descartes, how he constantly struggles with the idea of what's known as mind-body dualism. Anyone familiar with mind-body dualism? Mind-body dualism is more or less struggling with the fact of how is it that the mind functions in your body? That's a very, very difficult concept to deal with. Not your brain, but your mind. Your mind is incorporeal. It's not made of matter. It's immaterial, but yet somehow it functions and works with your corporal, material body. How do these two things function with one another? How do they work together? Where is it that they connect? That's a very very difficult question, especially for the atheist to deal with. Um, and Descartes struggled with that idea, that dualism of this corporal body dealing with this incorporeal mind. And he tried to work it out. He tried to at one time to posit that somehow maybe there's a connection through the pineal gland that the mind actually works with the body. Obviously, we know that not to be the case. Um, but it's a dichotomy we see in Descartes. Now. Descartes was a somewhat of a lazy man. He claims in his own memoirs that he never woke before noon. He slept into noon every single day. Um, And this is strange because he was a man that lived on a private income. He eventually is kind of sick of being at home, although he claimed that he wanted to be at home all the time. So he joins the Dutch military because he wants to travel. But while he's traveling, he constantly complains about how he wants to be back at home. And he joins the Dutch military, and even while in the military, he claimed to still wake up at noon every day. Um, So that's probably not the case, but that is what he claims. So even when in the military, he's claiming to wake up at noon every day. Um, But while he's in the Dutch military, he has a a Goodwill Hunting-esque experience. Um, Has anyone seen Goodwill Hunting? Um, The movie with Robin Williams and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I think it was the first movie that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote and made together. It's a cool movie. Um, And there's a particular scene in the movie that is completely parallel to what happens in Descartes' life while he's in the Dutch military. If you remember the scene from the movie, uh, Matt Damon's character, he's kind of a a smart aleck guy, but he's a brilliant man. Uh, He's working as a janitor at MIT, one of the best universities in the country, and For whatever reasons, due to wanting to fit in with his friends and whatnot wanting not wanting to get outside the box, he never has reached his full telos or his full um, potential as an academic mind. So he's sitting there as a janitor mopping the floors one day in MIT and there's a very, very difficult math problem that one of the professors of the school has left on this chalkboard out in the hallway as a kind of a challenge to the best minds in the school to solve the problem. And so he's mopping the floor, and he sees the problem, and he looks at it, and he's like, that's easy. And he solves the problem really quickly. And one of the professors sees him and gets all mad because he thinks that Matt Damon is just vandalizing the board. But he gets over to the board and realizes, wow, he solved the problem. Well, Descartes, while he's in the Dutch military, he, there's actually the same situation that goes on. There was a professor at a local college who had a very, very difficult math problem that he put out in the center square, and he said, anyone in the public... There will be a reward if you can solve this problem. And Descartes wakes up at noon, wanders into the town, sees the problem, and in an alarming fashion, solves the problem. And because of this, he gets to meet a professor by the name of Dr. Beekman. And he meets Dr. Beekman, and he says, I was sleeping until you awoke me. Speaking of Beekman, I was sleeping until you awoke me. This, this, he kindled a love of mathematics and a love, or re-love, of philosophy. And when meeting Beekman, Descartes decided, I found out what I want to do with my life. I want to create what he calls a philosophical mathematics. I want a philosophical mathematics. Now, the way that Descartes comes about realizing his life's purpose of creating a philosophical mathematics is, once again, a very... Strange parallel, a strange dualism that we see in his life. Descartes' a rationalist. He says he only wants to accept things which we can know for certain with pure reason through innate principles, a priori principles. But after meeting Beekman, Descartes claims that he spent an entire winter in a hot oven. And when he says that, not an actual oven, but like a small janitor's closet where he didn't leave for the entire winter. And while he was in this hot oven for the entire winter, he has a series of three mystical dreams. So a man that wants to create a philosophy that's based on absolute certainty gets his calling while having these weird mystical dreams, which is a very, very strange thing to see. And in these series of mystical dreams, Descartes says he envisioned a philosophical mathematics. He envisioned a world that we could solve all the problems of ethics, morality, science, politics in the same way that we solve mathematical equations. And he posits, or he decides that my life goal must be to start and create this philosophical mathematics, a way of knowing everything with the exact certainty that we can know things in math. So Descartes decides, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to know things in politics and science and whatnot in the same way that we know things in mathematics? Well, he says we must first only start with principles which are 100% indubitable. Things which cannot possibly be doubted. Descartes says, that's all fair and well, but I have this whole body of knowledge, all these things I already accept and know to be true, and how do I know for certain that all these things are absolutely true? If you remember back to the first week when we were in here, I asked some, or I talked to you how I asked some simple questions to my classes that a lot of times people think they know 100% certain to be true, and it turns out they're false, right? What's the shortest distance between two points? Everyone says a straight line. That's not the case, right? Who's the first president? We say George Washington. It's not the case. Um, These things. So Descartes says, well, I must have a bunch of things that I accept and think are indubitable, which maybe aren't indubitable. So what I must start to do is take out a... What are those giant things that swing into houses to knock them down? A A crane, a wrecking ball. That's what I'm looking for, a wrecking ball. He says, I must take out a giant wrecking ball and destroy my house of knowledge, destroy everything I currently know about the world so that I can start fresh and build a firm foundation. So Descartes says, what I'm going to use is doubt. Doubt will be my tool that I will use to rip down my house of knowledge. And he says, what should I start doubting? He says, I must start with my senses. I must doubt everything I've ever taken in through my senses because there's certain times that my senses have deceived me before. So how can I be certain that they're indubitably giving me the truth? He says, there's been times when I've been walking down the road and I look out ahead and I say, oh, there's a puddle in the road up there. And I get to the puddle and it turns out, what? It was a mirage. It wasn't there. So my senses deceive me. He says, there's times when I've thought that I heard someone calling my name. Has anyone ever heard that? Did someone just call me? No, nobody called you. He said, but my ears have deceived me. He says, even further, there's times that I've had very, very powerful dreams. And I'm sure all of us have had this, right? You've all had a dream where you woke up crying or woke up disturbed and upset. Why? Because that dream felt real to you. You were deceived into thinking you were living that reality, that that was going on. So Descartes posits, he goes, how can we be 100% certain that right now we're not dreaming? We take this to be reality, but are you sure? We're pretty sure But are you 100% indubitable? So he says, anything that we've taken in through the senses must be thrown out. We can't trust those things. He says, anything I've taken on the authority of somebody else, I cannot trust. Because he says, everyone's been lied to before. Everyone has had even close friends, family members, your own father or mother has lied to you at one time or another, right? And when you realize that, well, if we want to be 100% certain, we have to throw out everything anyone's ever told us and we have to start from scratch. Descartes posits even further, in, and all of this comes in his famous work, uh, The Discourse on Method and the Meditations. All of Descartes' work, you can read it in a day. I mean, all we do, is small volume here, 130 pages, thin, big words, um, not a very large work. So you could pick up Descartes and say, I've read the bulk of Descartes um, in one day. And Descartes says even further, he says, how do we know that right now there is not an evil demon, that is making me feel and seem like I'm having this experience, but all I am is really just a brain in a vat, a sort of a matrix-like experience, right? You think that your life is real, but how do you know if there is an all-powerful God, an omnipotent God, how do you know you're not just a brain in a vat and he's hitting little nerve endings and making you feel like you're having this reality, but it's not absolutely real? And you're like, that's unlikely, but why? Is it it 100% indubitable that that's not happening? Descartes says, no. He says, what about your whole life? He posits even further. He says, how do you know that the universe wasn't just created 30 seconds ago, but you were implanted in your mind with all of the vivid image, images and memories of this past life that never really existed? Can you be certain that that's not the case? Descartes says, no. So we can't trust the senses at all. We must throw them out if we want certain knowledge. So Descartes has now, the analogy I always give in class, he's building a new house of knowledge, he's taken out the wrecking ball, destroyed his old house, he now believes nothing, and he must lay a foundation for his new body of knowledge. What can he possibly know? And this is where Descartes comes with his famous Latin phrase that you're all familiar with. He says, there's one thing that I can know for certain. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. He says, let the demon deceive me as much as he wants, but every time that I think, I know for certain that I am something that has the capability of thought. Right? Anytime you think, you don't know that you're a person thinking, but you must at least be a thinking thing. Something that has the capability of thought. And this, Descartes posits, is 100% indubitable. You can't doubt it, because even in doubting, what? You're having a thought, which means you must be something that can think. So this is Descartes' foundational principle. He has it, something we can know for absolute certain. I think, therefore I am. Now, many times when people, and especially intro to philosophy students, or people that are not real familiar with philosophy, study Descartes, They get confused on the cogito, the cogito ergo sum. And we must stress deeply that when Descartes says, I think, therefore I am, he does not know that he is Descartes. Right? He does not know that. Why? Because to know that he's Descartes would require him looking in a mirror, seeing himself, trusting his senses. Right? He doesn't know he's a man that's thinking. All he knows is he is something that has the capability of thought. And he says, from there... We have our foundational principle. What else can we possibly know? And he thinks, and he's working on the project. And Descartes' second step, so that's his foundation, his second step is once again this giant dichotomy in his life. His second step, after going through all this process, he says, well, I have a clear and distinct idea of a body, and since God is not a deceiver, I can trust my senses And know that I am a body. And everyone right now should be like, what? You just defeated your whole project. You wanted things that were 100% certain. You throw out all the things you've taken through the senses. You get an indubitable first principle. I think, therefore, I am. And then your second step is, well, my body's pretty clear and distinct. Um, God probably wouldn't deceive me, so let's trust our senses now. Why? Well... I think the answer is the fact that the knowledge of man is 100% linked to our relationship to God, right? You can't get to man and understand man or have an understanding of man without understanding God. Now, Descartes didn't want to jump to that conclusion. Descartes says, well, all right, I have my foundation for my new house of knowledge and my second step is very, very shaky right now. So what I need is while I'm building this new house of knowledge, since I can't live in my house when it only has a foundation, I must stay in a hotel for a while. I gotta live in what he calls a provisional morality. Some place where I can live until I can build principles that are all 100% certain. So Descartes says in this provisional morality, what we should do is two things. We should act like we know even when we don't. And what he means by that is we can't actually know that you're in front of me right now, right? Because I'd have to trust my senses to know that. But I have to, to get along in the world, at least pretend like I know you're in front of me. Otherwise, life would be very, very confusing. And he says, secondly, we must follow the laws of the land. right? Because if Descartes wants to just break every law, and he says, well, I can't know these things are certain, well, he's going to end up in jail, and he's not going to get very far with this project. So Descartes creates this provisional morality, these two laws that we should follow, and then sets up what we talked about in the first week, his Cartesian division of labor. He says, well, we have this house of knowledge which has a pretty firm foundation, cogito ergo sum, I can know that thing for certain. Our next step is very, very shaky. So what we need to do is specialize labor. What we need to do is have everyone in the world study one thing for the rest of their lives, right? Focus on one area of study. And as we talked about, if we do this for generation after generation after generation, eventually, what's going to happen? we're going to know everything, right? We'd have complete knowledge in all areas. And then we could fill in the blanks. We have the foundation, cogito ergo sum, and then eventually 10, 15, 20 generations later, we'll know everything, and we can have the answer to all life's problems. We can hold hands, sing kumbaya. There would be no wars. We'd have all the answers to all of our medical problems. We'd live forever, and we could essentially cut God out of the picture because we don't need him anymore, right? They say there's no atheist in the foxhole, but if there's no foxhole anymore, We don't need God. We can find everything out. But when you see Descartes' philosophy and you see it developing, I think the important thing for us to focus on is this idea of his foundational principle, the cogito. He works so hard, and I just gave you a sketch of it, to establish something that we can know with absolute certainty, the cogito. But then you get there, and what do we have? You have once again a dependency On God on the truth of God right because how can we know that we can trust our senses we can only trust our senses for truth if there is a God that loves you cares for you and wants your senses to be able to relay truth to you but Descartes can't admit that so what we see in the work of Descartes is that an understanding of man Always must be tied to an understanding of God. And when we don't have an understanding of God, we can get to the self, but then what happens? We can't get back out to the world, right? You become a very, very introverted individual. And all you can get to the place is, I am something that thinks. Well, that's not a very, very philosophically sophisticated place to stay, right? You can't move anywhere in the world with that. And Descartes understood that, that we can't move anywhere. But he had the hubris to believe that eventually, if we broke up the world into small compartments, that down the road, somebody would fill in and finish his philosophical project for him through the division of labor. Um, Any questions at all about Descartes? Very, very short this week. We had a short week. Descartes. So the important thing is to get across once again. He's the first rationalist, the father of modernism, right? Only wants to accept things which are innate principles, doubts all the senses, comes to the place where he says, I know one thing for certain, I'm a thinking thing. But from that position, he's stuck, can't get back out to the world unless he trusts the senses, but he can only trust the senses if he knows that there's a God that has made those senses so that he's not, they're not to deceive him, that they won't lie to him. And he's stuck in that bog, and that's how Descartes' epistemological work, The Meditations, ends. In a place of saying, well, the future generations are going to have to fill in this certainty for me. Um, and we talked about before how this project eventually fails, right? The modern project fails of believing that we could get enough certainty to know things. We saw it fail with Marx and Einstein and Freud, and then eventually with World War I and World War II, where we saw mankind was not progressing in that manner that we thought um, but any questions about this stuff? Any questions about Descartes, about rationalism, about empiricism? Nobody? No, it was very quick today. Oh, just a, just a head scratch? All right, then. If we have got no questions, let's just close in prayer and get you home. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this time to meet once again today. Um, thank you for the opportunity to study men like Descartes. Um, and hopefully that we can learn through him um, that we cannot understand ourselves apart from you. Um, we are made in your image and we are your creatures. Um, and your world and the way our minds work testify to the fact that apart from knowledge of you, we cannot have knowledge of anything. Um, We hope that the world can become enlightened by these facts, um, and through the work of your Spirit, um, come to you and come to these truths, which are um, certainly self-evident and certainly true. In your name we pray. Amen.